and welcome to Cloud9 Thin, a podcast on all things leverage finance. We follow corporate debt from issuance to redemption, credits from performing to distressed, and everything in between. I'm Sammy Cole, your host in London, and this week I'm welcoming distressed credit analyst Nathan Mitchell. Thanks for coming on, Nathan. Thanks for having me, Sammy. And also credit analyst Matthew Hughes. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Thank you for having me on. Great. Thanks so much for joining me today, both. So today we're going to be speaking about all things debt purchases and generally companies in high yield and leveraged loans are situated in the real economy. So they sell products and services, but debt purchases are completely different ball game. So Nathan, could you run through a brief overview of what debt purchases are and what they do? Sure. So as you said, a lot of the businesses in the high yield and leveraged loans market make and sell tangible products or they provide some sort of service. Debt purchasers, on the other hand, are typically focused on non-performing financial assets. These assets can range from unsecured consumer credit portfolios. So things like your default phone bills and credit cards, all the way to lumpier distressed commercial real estate assets. Now, there are two main ways businesses make money from these assets. First is your classic buy low, sell high method. To do this, debt purchasers can restructure the loans to make them more valuable, or they can enforce on the secured assets and sell them themselves. The other option is a servicing business. This is when a third party service provider collects payments on the defaulted debt and receives a fee for doing so from the actual owner of the asset. Um, Compared to the investing side, this requires a lot less capital to fund. Okay, great. So there are two clear ways that these debt collectors make money. But we've recently seen some scrutiny on the business model of debt purchases. Matt, could you explain why that is? Sure. Uh, So the global rise in central banks' interest rates have definitely put a spotlight on the NPL purchaser market, uh, given their sensitivity to the health of the global economy. Um, This increased media and analyst attention has definitely brought a few key issues to the forefront. One major concern is the growing competition amongst buyers of non-performing loans. Uh, This coupled with the dwindling supply we've seen in high quality stock of non-performing loans has definitely led to higher portfolio prices and as such a decline in the money multiples that these businesses are achieving, which has now come down to around the 2x mark. So debt purchasers have taken two different uh, approaches and reactions to this. For instance, Lowell continues to pay premium prices for its portfolios, while companies like Anacap and Intram are scaling back their acquisitions. Leaning back into collection costs, uh, these are really beginning to see a squeeze across the whole market. Uh, so this metric effectively gauges the operating costs relative to the collections. Uh, so the high ratio effectively means that less money finds its way into the business's free cash flow. Um, while it's tempting to attribute this increase just to inflation, we also believe there is a slightly subtler effect at play. Um, as our colleague, actually, Owen Sanderson, um, aptly labelled it during his introduction piece to debt purchases, there's often a low-hanging fruit effect uh, within each debt purchaser's ERC curve. Effectively, debt purchases tend to tackle the easier-to-collect loans first, naturally, leaving the remaining portfolio slightly more challenging and often more costly to collect. Um, This is often hidden when the um, ERC is often being replenished as some slightly easier to collect loans are coming in. But as this begins to sort of dwindle off effectively, uh, this begins to be a more prominent issue. It's also very important to consider uh, distress situations. Debt purchasers have some wiggle room to manipulate their results through the marked model accounting method. Uh, Essentially, portfolios are valued at their purchase price. 
uh, with subsequent adjustments being made on management assumptions spanning anywhere from 10 to 15 years in the future. Uh, so when estimating a runoff scenario, it's crucial to discount the future ERC collections to their current market value, uh, which due to the newly increased risk-free rates we're seeing um, can actually lead to the real present value being much smaller than those shown in management projections. Okay, interesting. So there are clearly a few reasons as to why these debt purchases are currently in the spotlight. And I know you both recently wrote a piece on Intram and Lowell, two of the larger high yield borrowers in the industry. Nathan, could you highlight the problems that Intram is currently facing? Sure. Um, well, to shortly sum up Intram's issues at a high level, um, in their Q2 results, they announced that their new investments were coming in at an internal rate of return of around 15%. Now, that's not too big of a problem by itself. And in fact, actually, it's quite normal for a business like this. But the problem is where its current debt is trading. It's trading at yields that are in the low teens, and this is debt that was originally issued with low single-digit coupons before rates started increasing. So if your IRR is 15% on these new purchases and your cost of financing is in the low teens, then obviously that margin is being squeezed quite a lot. Right. So what kind of time frame does Intram have to deal with these problems? Well, fortunately for Intram, most of its debt doesn't mature until at least the middle of 2025. So it has some time to address these problems and how they're going to do that is exactly what management discussed on Intram's capital markets a few weeks back. Essentially, they're restricting reinvestments into non-performing loans and pivoting further into being a servicing heavy business. This is, of course, a more capital light business and management expects the restrictive reinvestment as well as exit from certain countries, including the Baltics, and the sale of a portion of its back book to contribute towards generating 20 billion Swedish kroner of discretionary cash flow across 2024 and 2025. To quickly put that number into context, 20 billion is around a third of interim 60 billion gross debt. And conveniently, that 20 billion number is around the amount of debt that is also due between now and the end of 2025. And management did say that all discretionary cash flow will go towards repaying debt and deleveraging. On paper, the plan to become a capital light business and repay a lot of its debt makes sense. As with any significant business plan or adjustment, it comes with a lot of execution risk. In particular, the back book sale, which will likely be anywhere between five to six billion of that 20 billion number I mentioned earlier. Management said any deal will be done at or about current book value. But given the big move in interest rates over the last year, this may not be as straightforward as it seems. So with that said, we think that interim overall doesn't quite have the luxury to avoid the higher market in the coming years and will likely have to refinance at least some of its debt coming due while also using the cash it generates to pay down the remaining. Okay, so it'll be super interesting to see how Interim's plan to become capital light actually turns out. Um, now turning to Matt, is Lowell facing similar problems to Interim? Absolutely. So the high-level problem Lowell is currently facing stems from its 2025 senior secured notes, which are currently worth around $1.1 billion. Um, so they are currently yielding around 19 to 22% over the last month, uh, considering with their recent portfolio purchases generating a solid 20% internal rate of return. Uh, it's safe to say that a refinancing, or a smooth one at least, is not on the cards. Um, management is currently banking, as I said, on around 20% blended net internal rate of return for their purchases made across 2023, which is quite a leap over the current 8% weighted average cost of debt, at a spread of around 12%. Um, but presently with the bonds 
pricing anywhere between sort of high 70s and low 80s currently if they opt for a refinancing the really great margin around 12 percent between their irr and their weighted average cost of debt could take quite a hit due to the high refinancing costs um it's a hit that would actually be very hard to sustain over the long haul so we need to sort of begin to assess um, how they can reduce their reliance on higher debt, how they can increase their cash, and how they can improve their overall credit metrics of the business. And like we said, most uh, non-performing loan purchasers um, create cash flows with two common ways. So that would be a discounted payoff agreement with the borrower, allowing them to pay effectively as much as they can afford to do so, but would not be the full value of the debt. However, this would hopefully come above the discounted amount that they originally paid for it, profiting the difference. And the second option with secured collateral would be to take ownership of it, think cars, inventory, valuable personal assets, and auction these off uh, to quickly liquidate them, which would again cover the debt. Okay, so with a smooth refinancing clearly off the cards, what, what kind of options does Lowell have? Sure, so we've assessed it in three different options, sort of ranking down in likelihood effectively um so option one would be to ease up on the cash deployment so purchasing volumes are a really great lever for management to affect uh, cash flows they can build up some cash reserves without immediately driving it straight back into deployment um and with their expected deployment still currently exceeding their required replenishment rate which is the rate of deployment needed to keep the ecr curve level effectively um they have around 30 million in wiggle room before they actually need to start lowering their estimated rain, remaining collection value. Um, so if things get even tighter, they could actually reduce deployment further and take this ERC hit, uh, which is a move that we've seen AFE or ANACAP recently do. So failing to produce cash flows from option one, we believe the next likely option would be to actually speed up the asset-backed security funding. Over the last couple of years, Lowell's management has been repackaging non-performing loans into asset-backed securities to raise funds. Uh, they do this by negotiating looser terms on cheaper MPL assets, bringing them to a level of debt the borrower can handle and thus generating cash flows again. But the thing with that would be uh, asset security transactions are slow and quite resource intensive. Uh, they require a steady, steam, a steady stream of reperforming loans to fill them up, which is another logistical problem. And with the tightening uh, prices we've seen in non-performing loans, this is proving more difficult. Even if they go full throttle with the higher end of their 100 to 150 million pound per year range suggested by management in the most recent call they'd only managed to fetch an extra roughly 300 million pounds by the time the bond repayments come knocking so moving to option three if the above two options fail again to produce enough cash we might be potentially looking at them having to have an asset sale from the group's erc likely at some level of discount but in the name of sprucing up the business credit profile it may be an option they have to take Okay, interesting. So Lowell do does clearly have some options available. And I know you've also taken a look at smaller businesses in the industry. Um, so Anacap, which is now called AFE, I believe. Um, Nathan, could you explain a bit about what's happening there and any similarities to Interim and Lowell? Sure. Um, AFE is quite an interesting one and currently the most stressed name across debt purchases. It has a 75 million euro RCF that's fully drawn, uh, that which was at the end of the year, and also just over 300 million euros of senior secured debt, which is due a little later in August 2024. So it doesn't quite have the luxury of tying the interim and lower do. They already tried to refi this debt in early 2022, but pulled the deal due to market volatility 
which seems to be a decision we imagine uh, management is regretting right now as both creditors and the company have appointed advisors for what seems to be an inevitable restructuring. The interesting part is similarly to Interim, AFE has stopped reinvesting its money in hope to preserve liquidity. But unlike Interim, AFE doesn't have a servicing business that it can lean on in this time. So by limiting the investment, management is essentially sacrificing future value for current liquidity. We originally assumed this was so they could raise enough cash to pay down the RCM in full. It's already been extended from June to the end of the year, but based on AFE's recent Q2 numbers, it doesn't quite look like they'll be able to pay down the RCF in time of its extended maturity. So the options it has left seem to be quite limited. To us it feels like it will either restructure or get its debt down to a sustainable level so that it can be begin reinvesting again or worst case scenario is that it might go into some sort of runoff state which could see creditors take the key and receive what is left from AFE's assets once they've been collect collected. Mm, okay so limited options for AFE then. Do you think that anything is going to change regarding uh, these debt purchases predicament over the next few years? Sure, yeah. So looking ahead, I think the most significant factor to keep an eye on for everyone will be when Europe navigates through the credit cycle. So in situations where unemployment is on the rise, even normally credit worthy individuals can start slipping behind on their payments, producing quite high quality NPLs. However, in our current tightening economic climate, where costs are rising, but unemployment figures are still showing resistance, it's mostly the lower quality borrowers who are defaulting. Uh, this means there are fewer pleasant surprises really to expect from the European NPL market coming in over the next few years. Uh, and we'll see less uh, high quality assets becoming available compared to where we saw in the global financial crisis or immediately coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Adding on to the complexity, in fact, is that borrowers who defaulted during the ultra low interest rates period following uh, the Eurozone crisis or the crisis mentioned above are not the same ones that are defaulting in the current rate environment. Uh, the big first round of NPL disposal in Europe might have even had borrowers with weaker earning potentials, while the upcoming cycle could include borrowers with better prospectuses over the sort of medium to long term of their income. Uh, making it more likely for them to catch up on the payments sooner. It's worth noting that there's a significant lag time between the causes of financial distress and the sale of NPLs to debt purchasers. Borrowers typically miss several payments and banks will try various methods to try and bring them back on track. Uh, even when the bank finally decides to sell, it takes months to assemble a market-ready portfolio, prepare the documentation, set up data rooms, initiate a marketing process, and eventually even close a deal and can take several months. So our attention really needs to be on the three key players we've discussed so far in the podcast, being Intram, Lowell, and AFE. Uh, they all face very similar challenges in with the market tightening, return shrinking, funding costs rising, and they all have looming maturity walls that still need to be addressed. However, each of them has adopted an ever so slightly different strategy, and it'll be fascinating to see who emerges as the winners, who faces the most challenges, and whether they'll each, if any, return to the higher market as conditions shift back to a lower interest rate environment. Yeah, I mean, it'd be super interesting to see how each of them fare as they get closer and closer to their maturity walls as well. Um, okay, now on to a slightly different question. Um, as I'm an ESG analyst, I have to ask about ESG risks associated with debt purchases. To me, a clear risk is the potential for debt purchases to use strong arm tactics against debtors. Yes, you're right, Sammy. There are actually multiple studies across Europe that highlight the abuse and malpractice surrounding debt collection. It can become abusive if the creditor uses unfair or deceptive practices to collect debt. 
For example, misrepresenting the nature of the debt, falsely claiming that they're an attorney, threatening to have the debtor arrested, or further threatening to do things that can't legally be done. So have any of the, the companies that you've looked into been investigated for, the, for these kinds of tactics? Yeah, so in 2018, Interim was investigated by the Netherlands Authority for Consumers and Markets. Uh, following consumer complaints about unfair debt collection practices. Uh, the group actually managed to avoid paying fines by being placed under a intensified oversight by the authority. Um, and Interim has since made uh, commitments to the authority group that they will no longer uh, exert additional pressure onto, onto people to pay their bills by threatening to use powers that they did not really have. Okay, so these companies clearly need to have detailed policies on how they handle ethical debt collections, right? Yes, and in fairness to Interim, it has engaged pretty well with debtor ethics and integrity. Most of its employees receive training to help prevent malpractice, and it has a policy outlining its 10 principles for ethical debt collection that covers issues such as privacy and vulnerability. Um, although having said that, it's unclear exactly how the company acts on these principles. Okay, so it's not all bad. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. So thank you so much for joining me this week, Nathan and Matt. I'm looking forward to finding out which direction these debt purchases will go in. And to you, the listener, thanks for tuning in. And please let us know if you have any feedback. We love hearing from you. You can reach us anytime by emailing team at ninefin.com. Check in next week to hear the latest on US markets. And we'll be back the week after that. See you then.